Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. The Oxford Dictionary defines social anthropology as the study of human societies and cultures and their development. Dr. Joanna Nascimento is a social anthropologist and a new teaching associate for our Masters in Social Innovation. She spent a year doing field studies in the Outer Hebrides, following and interviewing those working with and for Harris Tweed, the cloth makers. I asked Joanna how social anthropology and social innovation can come together. Well, I guess when I learned about this position, I had been thinking about ways in which social anthropology can contribute to debates, not just in academia, but beyond as well. And so when I read about the centre, I found it quite interesting, the kinds of activities and the kinds of approach to education as well that the centre was taking. And so I guess it was a good match in terms of my own research interests and also in terms of the centre's focus and uh, ideas also for future development in terms of what the centre wants to focus on in terms of the courses, but also the kinds of activities, more like public facing activities as well. And so there was a match there in terms of my research interests and also these ideas about how to make social research kind of relevant uh, within and beyond academia as well. So there are a number of things to ask you, one of which is what is social research? Okay, so I guess social research I guess it's something that includes uh, different disciplines in the social sciences. Social anthropology is one of them. There's sociology, there's a number of other disciplines that focus particularly on society and the way in which people relate to each other and to the world around them. And so it really depends on the kind of discipline in terms of what approach, what kind of methods and theoretical frameworks, but these are also shared amongst different social sciences. So it's really a very rich kind of approach to the study of the social world. So what is it then that makes you a social anthropologist? I guess one of the things that is distinctive about social anthropology is the kind of approach that anthropologists have to social research. And that has to do with something that is often known as ethnography, that is known as a research uh, approach, and also as a way and a mode of of representation. So I guess in a nutshell, it involves spending time sometimes extended periods of time in the context and with the kinds of people that you're trying to learn more about and learn from, and also kind of trying to get their perspective on the complexities and uh, different ways in which they see the world and the ways in which they act in the world. And so that's one of the things about social anthropology is this idea about really trying to understand what it is that moves people, what is it that is meaningful to people, and trying to get a sense of what their perspectives are, and also how those perspectives relate to broader contexts as well. So the, the question of context is really important. How do people relate to particular social, political, economic realities and the world around them? And how do these, how are these also located within particular geographical settings, but also within particular histories? And so I guess this is not like an extended <laughs> description of what anthropology is, but this is, you know, these are some of the main, main concerns that social anthropologists have. And also this sense of thinking about knowledge critically as well, and about the place of the researcher in that production of knowledge, and also the kind of relationships and the power dynamics that occur 
in any kind of social research as well. So kind of reflecting on that, how do these things, how does the background of a social anthropologist or the researcher kind of shape also the kind of research focus, but also the relationships with people and the kind of outputs as well. So what is the, the real world impact then of the work that you do as a social anthropologist? Because a lot of what you've said to me is very true. It's, it's not just about the agency and the position of the people that you are researching and their, the context, but it's also about the agency and the positionality that you as the researcher bring to that dynamic. So then what kind of real world impact is, is developed? Sure. So I guess one thing that I didn't mention is another thing that is distinctive about social anthropology is the kind of a, a kind of holistic approach to the social world. Um, and that is one of the, I guess, one of the most powerful things that anthropology can bring to, um, you know, thinking about how we can understand the world and also act on it. And um, that's one of the things that I guess the Center for Social Innovation is focusing on, thinking about how can we bring about um, positive social change and think about possibilities for systemic transformation. And so anthropologists focus on the possibility of thinking about the social world in, the, in a holistic way that brings together a kind of a study of the different dimensions of people's lives and how different kinds of institutions and different beliefs and all of these things that compose the social world, how do they come together in complex ways and in specific ways as well to form these worlds that people will inhabit. And so the kind of understanding that results from this kind of approach is one that embraces complexity and also instead of shying away from the study of diversity actually engages in it critically and thinking about what is it that um, we can learn from these different perspectives and these different different ways in which these different things come together. You spent a year living and working in the Outer Hebrides researching Harris Tweed but obviously got the material itself but the company and its, its place within the island. Can you tell me first of all why would you go somewhere so cold and then secondly why Harris Tweed why that particular company? I guess I'll start by saying that I learned about Harry Tweed uh, in a book. So uh, the first time I learned about it was when I was uh, writing my master's dissertation and I'd been doing field work with bespoke shoemakers in London and in Didcot. And I was browsing, you know, as you do, looking through shelves and thinking about how I was going to frame something in my dissertation. And I found this book that had one chapter. So it was an edited volume. And one of the chapters was dedicated to the Harry Street industry and the representation of the industry. And it was written in the 1980s based on fieldwork done in the 1970s. And I just found the, 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 the case study just really uh, interesting. It brought in some of the questions that I had been thinking about for my own master's and thinking about questions also of belonging and you know representation and the kind of political and economic dimensions of these kinds of industries and so I decided that I wanted to learn more about it and see what it was like and it whether it might be a good topic to pursue as a kind of um, PhD project I wondered what it looked like today so and so I decided when I finished my writing my master's thesis that I would go and visit. And that's what I did. And I went in October and found that it was less rainy than I'd expected. I was very lucky with the weather. So you know, the question of the weather is <laughs> a recurrent discussion point. So I had a chance to go and visit some of the mills and also to visit some of the weavers who were very, very helpful and just confirmed this idea that I already had that this would be a really interesting 
place to learn more about these questions of belonging and representation and about questions of work and labor in contemporary capitalism as well. What could I learn from focusing on this context and the kind of concerns and kind of experiences of people who worked in, in this industry and lived on these islands as well? What could we learn from it in terms of uh, understanding contemporary forms of capitalism as well? And so this was, I guess, what informed my research proposal. And that's how I decided to do a PhD that would focus on me doing a one year of field work in the Outer Hebrides. So what did you learn then? <laughs> yeah, so many things. So I guess one year of ethnographic fieldwork that involves participant observation and doing interviews. There is a wealth of data that you collect, but also a lot of knowledge that becomes embodied as well. So this is one of the things that's quite interesting about um, anthropology as well, is thinking about the different kinds of knowledge that you get access to by being present and spending time with people and learning about the things that they do and trying to, <laughs> to do them yourself. So I spent time with workers in the mills and also in Weaver's loom sheds. And I also traveled around with the, with the tweed van. And I spent also a lot of time with people outside of their workplaces. And I learned about other things uh, in the islands. And so some of the things that I learned about emphasize the importance of thinking about the Harris food industry and locating it within particular social, political and economic contexts as well. And it takes us back to this idea of thinking about contemporary issues in relation to particular histories as well, and in, in thinking about local issues in relation to broader global dynamics as well. And so one of the things that I learned about was the kind of relationship between people's work and their experiences of living on the island and particular ideas of belonging as well and resourcefulness that are tied with the actual experience of doing the different kinds of work, but also with their own life stories and the kinds of things that led them to the islands or uh, the kinds of things that kept them as part of this industry that is also characterized for being vulnerable to global shifts in demand for the cloth as well. So there was like an intertwinement of different things that I learned about that had to do with the place of the industry in the islands and in people's lives and with its relation to particular local histories and global uh, dynamics as well. There were many other things that I learned about that I, we could talk about. Um, <laughs> it ended up being a, an 80,000 word dissertation, I guess. So spending a year living in a community, going out with these people, in their everyday job and learning about the history and learning about how people function with one another there must come a point where this almost feels like it's no longer just about doing research but this is about almost living in that existence how do you manage that as a social anthropologist that's a really interesting question because it kind of brings in the kind of challenges and also the kind of potential that comes from uh, doing ethnographic fieldwork research and long-term fieldwork research as well. And so one of the things that you point out, this idea that you are living in a place and spending time with people and you are living there, really. You are, your life is linked to this place. I think that's one of the most powerful things is that you get to experience, for example, the question of the weather is an obvious one, like that's something that is shared. And then obviously learning from people and part of my learning had to do with doing a little bit of apprenticeship and learning some of the about some of the work processes as well that is obviously a very uh, kind of complex kind of uh, balance to to find in terms of on the one hand inhabiting this 
place and this kind of social context. And then also being constantly reminded that we're learning and observing and taking notes and thinking about how we're going to record this in a way that we'll remember for future reference as well. And so fieldwork can be quite exhausting in that sense as well, in terms not necessarily of thinking, because there's a whole thing about, there's the whole discussion about the danger of going native, but I think there's more of a danger sometimes of field workers uh, becoming very exhausted in trying on the one hand to be so engaged in this kind of uh, social life and at the same time to learn about all of these things that become embodied but they also have to be written as field notes so for example one of the things that became an important part of my days was at the end of the day getting home and writing up as much as I could before I could fall asleep or sometimes on the couch or uh, just halfway through it and so it's interesting because on the one hand it's really stimulating and really engaging and you get really involved in people's lives and at the same time there's also this constant sense of responsibility about writing down what you have actually learned about and obviously then interviews contribute in different ways to what you've been learning about and it's a good way of confirming whether what you've been learning about and being tired whether that makes sense but I guess that's one of the challenges you know it's, it seems like a very practical thing but um it does have to do with the tiredness that comes with it. I guess one thing that we are trained to do as social anthropologists is to constantly think about our positionality as well and, and our place um, in the field sites and thinking about, instead of avoiding uh, the fact that we shape, uh, our presence shapes perhaps what people do and what people say in, in particular ways, to actually embrace that as a kind of part of the knowledge production as well. And so that, on the one hand, you are trying your best to convey what it is that people are telling you and writing that down and that you're trying to learn as best as you can about what people are teaching you. And at the same time, acknowledging that you are present and that that makes a difference in terms of the kind of, yeah, the kind of knowledge that you produce as well. And so this is one of the things that I think is really important to think about is what is the role of the researcher in acknowledging that this is an important part of the knowledge production as well, that we're not just neutral actors in the process of engaging with the people that we're trying to learn from and learn about as well. What led you to social anthropology? <laughs> it is a long story, but I'll, I'll make it short. So I actually, I did humanities in high school and then shifted course slightly, decided to do design so I did design as my undergrad but it was in a university in a faculty, faculty of fine arts of the University of Lisbon that has this commitment of thinking about theory and practice and bringing these things together as part of the education of students regardless of the course that they're taking so I was very lucky to get a background in cultural studies and material culture studies and visual culture at the same time as I was learning about the more specific aspects of design as well and so that kind of was when I learned a little bit more about social anthropology and it stayed with me It influenced kind of my projects during university, but also later on when I went on to work in a museum in Lisbon, in the Kaleskul Benkin Museum, I was starting to think about questions of representation as well and ways of thinking about knowledge production. And it kind of made me want to study social anthropology properly. 
And so not just read about it and think about it in my free time or in relation to my work, but actually to go on and continue studying. So that's when I applied to do um, a master's. I did my master's in social anthropology in Cambridge. And then after discovering Harris Sweet and realizing that actually doing social research was something that I was actually quite committed to and interested in and passionate about, I uh, decided to do my PhD. And so I did my PhD in at the University of Manchester. It kind of brings together my previous interest in visual and material culture and also how the production of things is intertwined with particular political economic uh, dynamics. So one of the things that interested me was thinking not just about the objects that I was designing, but also the people who are involved in producing them as well and the kind of social and political context that they inhabit. And that's, I guess, a long-winded way of saying that I moved between different areas, but they all came together in my research as well as a social anthropologist. And I'm actually quite grateful for the kind of different <laughs> influences in the process. So that sort of takes us back to that the starting point of this interview, which is you are now the, one of the teaching associates at the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation, working on the Masters for Social Innovation programme. How do you see that link between your discipline and the discipline of social innovation coming together? I think there are three, three things that we have in common, I guess, in my own approach to the work that I do as a social anthropologist and the centers on goals. And that has to do with this commitment to doing research, thinking about how it can inform uh, teaching and how can it inform actual practice. And so I guess my background brings some things to these goals that the center has, but also I'm learning quite a lot about other fields and how they've shaped questions around social innovation by working in the center as well. And so I think it's a kind of yeah, dialectic relationship between my own background and the kind of activities that the center is, is developing as well. Finally, is your learning, this is a new job, it's a new discipline, it's a whole new set of theories or theories that you've, you've come across before, but apply differently. What is it that you're hoping to learn as you move forward as an academic? I guess, one of the things that I'm learning about since I joined the center is about different ways of approaching knowledge ex exchange practices as well. And so especially in this moment when it's harder for students to access universities in, in a physical way to actually be there, I think it's been interesting to learn more about the possibilities of blended learning, for example, and how the center has been doing that in a way that is I think quite productive. And so that's one of the one of the things that I'm learning more about is how can we think about different ways of bringing knowledge to different publics through formal education, but also through other approaches and through other kind of media. And so I guess also the fact that the center has this kind of dedicated team working in producing podcasts, I think that makes a big difference in terms of how that informs the work of academics who are working within the center as well. And so I guess that's one of the things that I've been learning more about is how does this work in practice, you know, thinking about bringing knowledge to different publics and having different discussions involving different audiences, not just within academia and through teaching, but also through trying to reach different audiences in other media. 
That was Dr. Joanna Nascimento, social anthropologist and teaching associate for the Masters in Social Innovation. You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube.